0: So today is Thursday, October 31st. It is Halloween here in Raleigh and elsewhere, I imagine. But uh, I'm here again, downtown Raleigh with Gary Pierce. Gary, how are you doing today?
1: Boo! Doing good.
0: So that's not the only scary thing we're going to be talking about. There are uh, some news around the gerrymandering that we're going to touch on briefly, and then I think a bit more topically we are going to look at some of the political strategizing around the budgets that's happening right now. So um, we'll start with the gerrymander. I know on Monday there was a ton of news dropped in North Carolina, nothing uh, out of the ordinary there. But the the courts decided that the congressional districts in North Carolina did not um, hold up to muster, so they're going to have to be redrawn. And I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the same process sort of that happened with the legislative districts is going to happen again. I guess the legislature gets another crack at it. Uh, They'll do their, their best, give it the old college try, and then we'll see if that's going to uh, stand the test. And I think regardless of what those maps look like, the outcome is going to be better for uh, Democrats right now. It's, it's drawn 10 Republican districts. Three Democratic districts, and I know I read that quote every day. Uh, every time that I see something about the gerrymander, because that's David Lewis's most favorite, uh, most famous remarks. So, what are your thoughts on the the gerrymandering situation, and maybe what that portends for twenty twenty and beyond?
1: Well, it's a big thing. Uh, you know, for the first time in almost ten years, we'll have fair elections. When you think about it, North Carolina has what all these court rulings finally coming now in 2019 are saying, is that everything the Republican legislature has done since that fluke Tea Party election of 2010 has been based on unconstitutional, illegally drawn, and unfairly partisan drawn districts. Um calls a lot of things into question, and... And, you know, if North Carolina is a swing state and we're now going to truly have fair districts, we're going to have some interesting elections next year. And we'll get a much better picture of what kind of state we are. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what kind of state we are. We're about as evenly divided as any state is. And if the districts are drawn fairly, then that means we're going to have a House and Senate in uh, two years that will be pretty closely divided and that there will actually be some districts where people from both parties have to run sort of to the middle rather than to the extreme of their party it's going to be totally different from what we've seen in the last 10 years we're we're getting ready to see a total sea change in 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 north carolina's politics Well,
0: to your point about the way that the actual candidates will have to run in those districts, I always thought that was kind of a compelling reason. At least I tried to cite about arguing against the gerrymander, because if you are a sort of middle of the road Republican, but you're in a ruby red district, that person representing you is is really representing the the base in that district it's not really the the average voter that gets their voice taken to raleigh it's the people that are loudest in those primaries and like you said like the tea party type people i know they're kind of moved and it's more i guess the trump uh acolytes within the party but those are the people that decide those elections when it's a race to the right in a primary the moderate voters the majority of people in the district really sort of lose their voice so if anything even if the makeup of the general assembly is not changed dramatically in terms of numbers, I think the, the, the temper of the people there and sort of the level of partisanship might go down, even if the numbers don't change dramatically. But that said, I, I, I still feel like uh, we'll probably see it lean a little Republican just because of the way people live in the state and are divided. But surely uh, you won't see super majorities like we have for the past few years.
1: No, and and to your point, you really see the same thing in Democratic primaries. Sure, yeah. Democratic candidates I talk to who are in pretty strong Democratic districts, they worry about being primaried themselves by somebody from the left. And so that has been what the, the, the last 10 years has made the Republican Party more extreme, the Democratic Party more extreme, has cut out the middle, and I think now you're going to see more people from the middle, and I think that's going to make a real difference in how things work. I mean, you know, we had a time in this state not too many years ago where it was um, there was a coalition uh, speakership, where you know a group of at one point it was a group of rebel Democrats, including then Representative Roy Cooper, and and uh, Republicans who came together, and then later it went the other way. Some Republicans broke off and. And I built a coalition with Democrats and and ran the House. So, again, it's just going to be a hugely different situation from what we've seen before.
0: Well, do you think that probably is reflective more of the state? I know 2012 you get uh, Governor Pat McCrory, who, apart from how he might have governed and how the legislature might have pushed him to govern— was elected, I think, as a pretty pragmatic business conservative mayor of Charlotte forever. Um, So now that maybe wasn't borne out during his tenure, but the same, I think, is true of Governor Cooper getting elected as a pretty pragmatic moderate Democrat. So it seems if you present an option statewide, the people want someone moderate, maybe a little center left, a little center right. Uh, It seems like that would be true of what they want in terms of a General Assembly as well.
1: I think that's what we are as a state we're you know we're slightly to the conservative side of moderate don't deny that we always have been now whether that changes with growth and younger voters who appear to be more liberal more democratic that may well happen but but again you made a good point that in in a way democrats hurt themselves by all living close together to each other you know if democrats really wanted to um If if younger people were sort of spread out across the state, it might help Democrats, but that's just not the way things are happening. They're being attracted to, you know, cities with jobs and growth and amenities and a a lifestyle that that they really like. But we're pretty, uh, and we always have been, a a slightly conservative but mostly moderate state. That's reflected in the governors we elect, both Democrats and Republicans. And it's reflected, too, I'm, I'm writing a column about this, nobody will want to miss my column in my blog next week, but how the Senate races and Kay Hagan sort of exemplified that, how we go back and forth between uh, Democrats, Republicans um, in, in, in our Senate races, and that tends to rise and fall with whatever's happening in presidential race or in the national political climate.
0: Well, this brings up something I wonder your thoughts on, and it's hard to say, I think. But one aspect of North Carolina changing politically that is fascinating to me is the, there are tons of people, uh, young professionals, I think, for the most part, but people moving from Massachusetts or New York or maybe from Illinois, things like that coming to North Carolina, it's a great place to move. Obviously, we like North Carolina. But those people move from pretty reliably Democratic areas, and they come to North Carolina. But I think there might be a, a misconception about what the parties are here versus what the parties are from where those people moved. Uh, one example I think I've cited before is I was, uh, I was downtown in Raleigh, and someone overheard me talking about politics, uh, as I so often do. And they were from Massachusetts, and they were a Republican, and she had moved here, and that was uh, my thought is what a massachusetts republican is is not the same as what a north carolina republican is so how do you how would you think the parties either party both parties can recruit people moving here from out of state because i think that looks different than getting people who already live here and kind of understand how the parties are but it's a fundamentally different republican party here than what like maybe charlie baker is in massachusetts getting elected statewide so How do you see the parties interacting with people coming from out of state that have maybe preconceptions?
1: You know, it's it's a big topic because I think I saw a statistic this week that something like 43% of voters in North Carolina were born somewhere else and came here. But there's a wide variety there. Um, You know, you're talking about Northeastern Republicans, uh, Massachusetts Republicans, or New York Republicans. I don't think there are many of those anymore. I mean, the Republican Party has changed really over the last 40, 50 years, but particularly now with Trump, the Republican Party has drastically changed. Uh, A big question about what it'll be when and if Trump is gone. But um, I, I like to think, I think the Democratic Party is in a position to capture more of those people because the Republican Party here even more so than it is anywhere else, is Trump's party. And you see that with uh, Tom Tellis, you know, who had the temerity some time ago to challenge Trump on a couple of issues, and he found out that wasn't gonna work, so ever since then, he's been running just as fast as he can to be Trump's boy. Um, I don't know how well that plays with a lot of the people coming from out of state, whether they're certainly Democrats, Republicans, and a lot of them are independents. They may, truth is, they're not independents. Registered. They're registered yeah. independent, but virtually all of them tend to vote pretty reliably, Democrats or Republicans.
0: So let's transition away from this. It's a little uh, esoteric, and it's hard to say, but it's something interesting to keep up with as as time changes. Uh, so in the General Assembly for think it's been four months now they haven't been able to pass a budget and they were supposed to uh, some fiscal year end and we've been just trying to negotiate but some people say we're not negotiating and I'm saying this (laughs) both sides you see tweets press releases flying back and forth uh, between both camps with the governor's office and the uh, mostly now Senator Berger after the Republicans were able to pass a budget in the house or the veto but what are your thoughts you know from the balcony of all of the budget negotiations but i think more specifically what interests me is the idea of these mini budgets they're passing basically breaking up the appropriations into a ton of smaller pieces that can pass pretty easily and the prospect of that maybe being a more common way to pass budgets in the future
1: you know the, the one thing i learned from working for governor hunt for four terms is that people have no interest whatsoever in the legislative process. Um, there, are, there are probably about, I don't know, a 1,000 or 2,000 people in the immediate area of Raleigh and a few scattered around the state who care about this and follow it every day. And most of them, you could throw a rock from the legislative building and hit them, you know. Um, but most people do not. And so in, in the politics of it, what you got to keep in mind is wh- what are the big messages? What are the big lessons that we want to get across? And I think there is a great opening here for Democrats, which is, see, tomorrow's November 1st, so that's four months where the state was supposed to have had a budget, and we don't have one. And, and they can easily blame it. Governor Cooper can easily, because he has the biggest microphone in the state, he can easily blame that on the Republicans. And you know you say, look, they've brought they've brought Washington style budgeting and politics to Raleigh. Don't pass a budget. Pass all these little bills. You know this thing about the teacher pay. I think what are they talking about now? Three point nine percent. That is, but that is pathetic. That is nothing like what we do. We had as a story this week about reading scores yeah. being down in national tests. And this is after years and years of the republicans and senator Berger pushing through his read to achieve program you know at some point people need to realize that there's a real simple solution to education which is to pay teachers decent salaries so they don't have to work two jobs and so good people will continue to want to be teachers i think that's a great opening for the democrats i think the other thing the democrats can do and jeff jackson did this on the floor this week is to say, this is corruption. You said every day this week, he said to the president of the Senate, that we're going to vote on a uh, veto override on the budget. But every day you fail to bring it up. That's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. He called it corruption. I think that's a pretty good attack line. And, and besides, it's always easy to attack legislatures. You know, they're, they're great targets. And, and governors have an inherent advantage over legislatures and I think they do here and so you take that you combine it with fair maps you could have a real big change next year
0: well I do think that video that uh, Senator Jeff Jackson had put out there with his speech on the floor was pretty compelling and and that's about par for the course for him uh, nowadays he's got a very good presence online and he's a really good I think messenger for Democrats Uh, but in that same vein do you think he alone can be that messenger, or do you think there is room? And I think I'm kind of leading this question a little bit, but for more of a vocal approach from outside of just the legislature, because to your point, you know the governor's office, they do have the bully pulpit. and um if 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 the legislators want to uh well specifically Senator Berger can they can put out press releases. but really, how many people in the state know who Phil Berger is or Tim Moore as opposed to how many people know who the governor is. That number is still probably smaller than we'd like it to be, but he is the one that has that, the podium at the executive mansion that he can he can sort of deliver a message. What would you think a compelling message would be if, if there were some big event around the impasse?
1: Well, you know, when he um, criticized what the House did, sort of the surprise vote, override the budget there are two words in his statement which he gave that morning which really uh, stuck out to me he talked about lies and corruption I mean that is a pretty simple and powerful political message and I think what you're going to see we're about a year away from the general election next year for governor and for the legislature and I suspect more and more what you're going to hear from this governor is lies and corruption in the process. And then in the results, not enough pay for teachers, not enough health care people in North Carolina by not expanding Medicaid. I think a simple message endlessly repeated by the, the guy who has the biggest microphone in the state and who probably will have more money to spend on messaging next year than anybody else in the state. It's going to be a pretty powerful weapon.
0: Well, final thoughts on this, but just this kind of came up when you mentioned that obviously the presidential level elections have a long coattail effect on what happens in North Carolina. Do you think that as a message for Roy Cooper, it would be a, a great way for him to differentiate himself from whatever happens nationally? Now, obviously, you can't divorce yourself from whoever's on the top of the ticket, especially at least in my mind, if it's an Elizabeth Warren or, you know, a Bernie Sanders, that might be unpalatable for North Carolina. But can he really make it hyper-local like that and and sort of divorce himself from what happens nationally, at least insofar as that's possible?
1: Well, he may have to, you know, last time he overcame Trump won by almost four points and Governor Cooper won by a hair. So, you know, figure all else being equal, he's got to flip 4% of the vote. He's got to somehow convince 4% of people who are gonna vote for Trump to vote for him. And I think there is an opening. Last night in the World Series, I saw a Trump ad, which actually I thought was a pretty good ad for Trump. And, And they did a pretty good job of making his weakness a strength. Because one of the lines was something to the effect of, you can't drain the swamp in Washington with just anybody. It takes a Donald Trump. I mean, it sort of seemed to be an implicit, yeah, he's got a lot of problems and he's a bull in a China shop, but that's what it takes in Washington. Well, I think Governor Cooper can flip that. Drain the swamp is, you know, so associated with Trump. That's not what you want to say. But his message is going to be, we got to stop the corruption in the legislature. And I can do that. I've shown I can stand up to them and win. Um, if we get a fair legislature uh, elected in fair, non-gerrymandered, non-corrupt districts, we can have better government in North Carolina. think that'd be a pretty good message for him and a winning message.
0: Well, and and, you know, with the fairer maps, you I don't know that this necessarily uh, has some causation to it, but you could see in theory places where Democrats can't really compete at the congressional level having uh, real tight elections there, sort of inspiring people in places they might not have normally been uh, keen to turn out, but maybe they really are invested in a local congressional election and suddenly that has A little bit of a upward coattail effect maybe you just turn out more Democrats statewide because everybody has a competitive race that that might be something to look at
1: well it can be I mean a good local candidate a congressional candidate a legislative candidate who can who can turn people out and I think we've seen evidence in Raleigh in the municipal elections last month that good candidates can energize people Uh, Jonathan Melton one of his his campaign manager told me that his strategy their strategy had to be to reshape the electorate. Right. He said, "If we, if the same people voted this time, who always voted, we would lose. We had to bring out new voters." Well, he won his seat by some thirty-three hundred votes. That's yeah, pretty handy. It looks like they probably turned out thirty-three hundred voters based on a city council candidate and and real hard local organizational work. That's an encouraging sign.
0: Well, and I think you know. Thinking about that in, in terms of maybe getting a few more people out, it doesn't sound like a lot, especially if you're in a different state, but Roy Cooper won by like, 10,000 votes. I mean, it was, you add a few votes here and there, just, you know, for example, you say with Jonathan Melton that maybe 3,000 extra people. I mean, that makes a lot of difference over the course of give you Another good example. If
1: you look at three battleground states that Trump won, I think it's Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. If he lost them, he would not have been president. He lost those three states combined. He won those three states combined by 80,000 votes. Yeah. And th- those are big states. 80,000 votes in that many. They see 3,300 votes in Raleigh. You can easily see 80,000 in three states like that.
0: Well, and then that's, it goes back to the same point. That's, I think, in no small part because people in uh, Detroit and Philadelphia and, um, somewhere in wisconsin they didn't come out in the same numbers they as they did out. for right. obama in right. 12 so um, there's it a turn lot that works point.
1: both ways that's right it surely does yeah
0: so i think that's a good place to stop we covered some good topics there and i imagine by the next time we get together we will have a little bit of a better idea of what's going on with the budget impasse um or maybe not because it's been four months
1: there'll always be something to talk about
0: all right well, thank you gary for a little bit of your time today